Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story, they are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Six months ago when we opened this new location of church here in Olamara, a number of people came through the door. Among them was Mike Walk. He came through uh, after seeing that a new church opened in the area and he was full of enthusiasm to see what would unfold here. He told us that he had been in this church for a number of years and in, had seen its development and its heydays and also uh, the season that was in decline and he was praying and he was looking forward to a new season that the Lord would bring to this church. Uh, since then he has been part of our church and he's embracing every service and every discussion and he just loves what God is doing in this season in this church. He's been encouraging me and everyone else in the church and I can't wait to hear his story and what the Lord has done in his life. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pastor. So you came in here. How did you know that we were opening a new church? Did you drive by or? Um, we were keeping an eye on this building because it was empty. Yeah. And we were hoping that um, someone would come in and open a church because it's not a time for churches to be empty. That's right. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we used to come down and pray, walk around the car park. Nice. And, um, you know, we all anointed the posts, the four posts with oil and just prayed that the Lord would open this place up again because this was my first church back in 1985, 86. Yes. When it was known as Faith Chapel. And um, I was led here after I got saved and... I just had a good feeling about this place when I got saved and it was good to see that the churches functioned so well over those years. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And uh, we're driving past one day and we saw Shining Jesus and all this and couldn't get on the internet fast enough to find out what menorah was all about. Yeah. And... Uh, we said, let's go. Let's go and see what's going on there. So here we are and um, very excited with what's happening here. It's a, there's a, a good uh, feeling about it, you know. I feel, a, feel an anointing here that I uh, haven't felt for a long time. So, yeah, I believe God wants to do something. Yeah. I love when, uh, you know, all the people are still enthused. You yeah. know, that they haven't lost the heart. Yeah. They're not tired. That's right. They but, want to go on. Yeah. I think that's beautiful because that inspires us. Yes. Where did you grow up in WA? Where did you grow up? No, I come from a place called Coonabarabran in New South Wales, which is about 300 miles from Sydney uh, in the west. Yeah. Um, okay, place, so it's a uh, farming town. Farming, yeah. My father was a shearer. Yeah. I am fourth generation from my great-grandfather was a pioneer from Ireland, um, came out and um, my grandfather used to tell me stories about 
the bush in the early days, when, and they were pioneers, my, yes. gra my great-grandfather. We have a town, a little town, a little place, village outside of Coonabarabin named Walkton, which is oh. my great-grandfather had the post office there. Nice. And um, the, the Cobb and Co coach used to come through there with the mail. Yes. So, yeah, we got deep-rooted, um, you know, in... In Australia, you know, like we're Aussies through and Beautiful. through. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm? No, no, we, we lived in town. My grandfather had the farm. My dad was a shearer and um, one of six children. And um, my you dad. You were one of six? I'm one of six. I'm the third. Nice. Um, my, daughter, uh, my sister was the eldest. Yeah. And I had a brother and two brothers above me and two below me. Oh, beautiful. So I was in the middle. The rebel, I was the... Were you? Yes, I was. Yes, I was the leader of the pack in those days, a small country town getting into all the mischief. Such as? Uh, oh, we used to just have great fun running through the bush and in the river and, you know, it was life was so different then. But bikes? Uh, just, yeah, push bikes mainly. We used to get around and yeah. some of the stories. Fishing? Fishing and cray dabbing, you know, for yeah. yabbies in the creek. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was an exciting life. Uh, Dad started shearing when he was about uh, 17, uh -huh. and he retired when he was 66, and he was still shearing about 140, 150 sheep a day, which wow. is incredible. Incredible. And uh, he, he, he kept all these. Uh, he kept all these notebooks. And he counted every sheep he ever saw. So when my wow. eldest brother did a tally, he was very close to shearing a million sheep in his life, which is my God, which is pretty phenomenal, you know. And, wow! Uh, he had a pretty good back, and a lot of shearers they go in the back. He probably you know? didn't put on weight. No, no, he was just the right size. Grandmother said that he was just the right size, you know. Perfect. Yeah, but he was tough. He was tough on us too. <laughs> us kids. Irish, Catholic Irish background, yep. and uh, we were taught by I was taught by nuns until I was fifteen. Oh, so in the in the school, it the was... Catholic school, yeah. Okay. There's a Catholic school there, and yeah. came up through all the Catholic, um, you know, first communion, confirmation, yep. all that stuff, and the nuns used to beat us with the. Doctrine. Oh, <laughs> and, doctrine. And, and, and straps and sticks and, <laughs> and anything that you get the hand. You probably like that. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as your brothers or your dad. Yeah. Back in the days, you could still beat your kids and get away with it. That's right. right. <laughs> one, one particular nun, she had, um, she was only tiny. They're all Irish nuns. They're all ladies that came from Ireland, you know, and gave their life to God. Yeah. God bless them, you know, they did yeah. such a good job, you know. Yeah. And uh, this little one, she was only tiny, about five foot nothing, but she could wield a cane. <laughs> she used to get this big long cane. She'd jump off her feet and bring it down. Oh, out. <laughs> and uh, on a cold winter's morning, you, you, could, you could feel it before you got it, you know. Yes. You pull it in. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, they were the days. And... Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I had uh, my eldest brother, Patrick. He went away um, when he was nine, 
um, to Campbelltown. That's down there, Sydney. Yep. Uh, he went into the Franciscan. Um, uh, well, it was like a college. Yeah. But from there, you go into the novitiate and then the priesthood. So he went away when he was nine. So we never really got to know him too well because the only thing when he came home on holidays. And then when my sister, she was the eldest, when she was 16, she went into the nunnery. She went into the convent. Yeah. And uh, she did a novitiate and everything, but she came out after two years. She, mm -hmm. she couldn't handle it. And so I always had this over me, you know, as a young, as younger, because I was about seven years younger than them and uh, always had this thing about calling of God, you know, vocation. Yeah. So it used to haunt me, actually, because yeah. uh, when I tried to be bad or, you know, get up the mischief, I always got so convicted. And I wondered, I remember coming home one night when I was about 13 and, kneeling beside my bed and I had a statue of Jesus and I promised him that I would, um, I just, the words just came out, you know, I said, I want to follow you. Wanna... Yes. And um, I think he really heard me because from then on I was had this calling on my life. The Catholics call it a vocation. Yes. And so I had this calling, you know, to, um, and I wanted to go away to the, um, college. Oh, where your brother was? Uh, no, I wanted to go to the Passionist. They call the Passionist Order, which okay. um, they're known for. They're an enclosed order. They mm -hmm. they don't and um, they go out on missions, but they pr only preach the cross. So the cross was the real the central central thing to me as well. You know, because that's what I wanted to do was preach the cross, and uh, so. This priest came around the school and who, who's aspiring to be a priest? And my hand went up and, of course, everybody laughed, but uh, I had to put up with that because yeah. I was the only one that did. Yeah. And uh, he used to write to me and then when I was about 15, I, I wanted to go and complete my education there. Mm -hmm. And I went to the parish priest for a, a reference. Yes. And he was, <laughs> he was an old Irishman and he knew you. Yeah, he knew, he knew the family. And, uh, when he came to the door, I was shaking. I can still remember shaking. He said, what do you want, boy? You know, like, boyo. And I said, uh, I want a reference. I want to, I want to go and be a priest. Yeah. And he just patted me on the head and said, go and grow up, sonny. That's all he said. Go and grow up. Go and grow up. Yeah. He didn't even explain or anything. That was it. Turned around, closed the door and walked away. So it left me bewildered, you know. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what is, you know, um, I still had this driving force in me to, but I left um, my education. I was doing my fourth year in high. Yes. And... Um, the Bank of New South Wales was looking for staff, so they, they rang the convent to see if there was any aspiring people there. So the nuns sort of oh, Michael Walk, you know, here's the one. Because I had to go from the Catholic school up to the state school to yep. finish my education. And, of course, we used to get, get a lot of, uh, in those days, it was 
the Catholics versus the Protos, you know. Oh. Really. Yeah. I like, remember going like to, back in Ireland. Yeah. When I was going to school, we had to pass the primary school and uh, we'd have our school bags and, and we'd be running because once the, the public kids saw us, they'd come running <laughs> and jump up on the post and rail fence and say, Start you yelling know, at you. Yeah, Catholics, Catholics, sitting on a log, eating gizzards out of a frog and all this stuff, you know. It was real yeah. because, and everybody knew in the town. Rivalry. It was a bit like the orange and the green, you know. Yeah. Because most of the background were Irish. But, uh, yeah, and so I went into the bank and uh, three years later I, I used to go to Mass you know, used to go to church as often as I could. Even when I was in the bank, I used to go every morning. What were you doing in the bank? In the bank? I was a ledger keeper. Okay. And uh, you have to go up the la the ladder. And in those days, it was the old manual sure. ledgers. Yeah. You know, no, no computers, nothing. Yeah. It all had to be here. You couldn't use an adding machine to to do the. You write out a page of checks like that on a paper. You had to add it up. This. And then... Oh, you weren't allowed to use a calculator? No. Or adding machine? Right? No, no, no adding machine or calculator. And then the boss would come along and he'd check. And then uh, if there was a mistake, he'd bring the adding machine over. But anyway, it was pretty tough there too because they were real old school. And um, Was this in, a, in Sydney or... No, Sydney no, I, le I, left, I was in Coonabarabran and then I got posted to a place called Trangy, which is... <laughs> Halfway between Dubbo and Burke, which is right out back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a real change, you know. I, was, yes. I went right. That was sheep country. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, then this old nun came up to me one night, one morning when I was sitting there, I was praying after mass, and she came up, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, "Have you ever thought of being a priest?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I said, as a matter of fact, yes. She said. Oh, my boy, she said, uh, don't let that pass by, you know. You, there yeah. could be a calling from God on your life, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I was still being stirred by it. And uh, I, re I resigned from the bank and I went to the Passionist College in 1965. Beautiful. And uh, just complete my education. Saw a lot of hypocrisy in the... So you went to the preschool? Yeah, I went to the... And I was due to go to the novitiate. Yeah. Where you go for 12 months and they really give you the test to see okay. if you're going to be a priest. I went home at Christmas. They give you six weeks to go and think about it. And I didn't go back because <laughs> I'd seen too much... Um, I don't know. I, I call it hypocrisy because... Yes. But it wasn't what I wanted. You know, I, my calling was from God, I knew. Yes. But I didn't find it there. Yeah. And so then I walked away from God and uh, I had all the priests in the world chasing me and I was what you call a bad Catholic. And when I went, when I went back to the town, I went from being a bank clerk yes. to working on the railway. Mm -hmm. And all I did was uh, manual, you know, unloading. Labor unloading because I didn't have forklifts and that in those days and everything was done. 40 tonne of cement, you oh, know, yeah. bags. Bag by bag, bag 40 by kilos. Bag. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I did that. And uh, then um, 
had a bit of a turn. I wanted to get out of this little town. So I joined the Air Force. And uh, I didn't want to marry yet. No, no, I was single and just wanted to see the world. And uh, Air Force said to the guy, what a, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to join the Air Force. I'm get, getting out of here. I want to see the world. And he said, I'm going to stay and get my gold watch because that was the thing. And, yeah. You know, if you're with the government for a long time, you've got a gold watch. <laughs> so then in six years in the Air Force, whew, hard. I went around Australia. I went uh, Victoria, Darwin, and then back here. I, I, what were you doing in the Air Force? I was only a clerk, you yep. know, I was only uh, Admin. A, a, um, in equipment, logistics, mm -hmm. warehousing and all that. Volunteered to go to the Vietnam War um, because that was the time the Vietnam War was So this going. is mid-70s or no, yeah, early yeah. 70s? Uh, uh, late 60s. Late 60s. And uh, You've been around for a while, Mike. Yeah, every time, the, <laughs> every time the, you used to get this sheet come out for where you want to go yeah. and you'd write a little story, I want to go to Vietnam, you know, because... My mates from school had gone there yes. in the army. Yeah. So I volunteered to go there but never got there. I can probably praise God that I didn't. Yeah. Got posted over here, started uh, work, doing clerical work, getting into office, office management, everything. And yeah, I had. Uh, Aspired to be in uh, my own business one day. Yes, and so when I when I reached uh, my marriage broke up. I got married and um, had two children. My marriage. So when did you get married? In nineteen sixty nine. In in a place called Kerrang in Victoria, the the girl came from my wife came from Victoria. Her, so her that's country were Victoria. Farms. Yeah, country Victoria. Mm -hmm. How did you meet her? In Darwin when I was in the Air Force. I just met her up there. And then what was she doing up there? She was just travelling around. Okay. She just she just left the bank herself and she was like backpacking around and yeah. met up with a group. Her parents had farm a farm in Victoria. Her grandparents had big farms. and So we had a lot in common, you know, because we came from the country towns. And yeah. We travelled around, down through the centre and around up round through Queensland and back to Darwin. And then I, when when we came here, I had a house just down here in Morley Drive. I was um, got involved in the builders hire business. And she was here with you. Yeah, she was still with me. And uh, had you fifteen have years. Had two children. Yeah, boy, and girl, a boy and a girl. Girl Thanks. first, Tammy Tamara. She's my baby. She's forty-five. My son Wesley. Nice. I don't know why I ever named him Wesley, but my dad's name was Joseph Wesley Walk. There you go. And I never found the full story out until later. But somewhere along the line, someone in the Catholic line broke all the rules and married a Methodist. Okay. <laughs> But I don't know how my dad ever got that name Wesley. And Maybe that's why. Yeah, that, that sort of. Yeah. Anyway, I called my son Wesley, and that was a very uncommon name in Australia then. So, but uh, yeah, he's a very successful architect now, and my daughter is, you know, 
So it, um, yeah, I uh, had a marriage 15 years. I went into this business, which is still going. By builders the way. Hire. No, I was in the Builders Hire business and they sent me, they used to, uh, I went to, Dar they had trouble with a manager in Darwin. So they called me in the office one day and said, would you like to go back to Darwin? I said, why, what's going on? I said, oh, we had a lot of trouble with the manager there. We want to send you there to sort it out. Yeah. So they sent me to Darwin. Uh, so you took the family? Yeah, uh, but I didn't have my children then. I just, it was just me and my wife. So we went to Darwin for three years and... Build that business and up. And I had, I had, yeah, I had, had to um, get this business going. It would, they'd spent a lot of money. But yeah. in 1974, there was a cyclone called Tracy that wiped Darwin off the map. Oh. But a month before that, they decided to close the business down. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, because the manager left, he resigned. And uh, they said, we want all the equipment on the boat by the 7th of December. That's the last state ship to go from Darwin to Perth before the wet season. Yeah. So I had to do all that, got it all on the, on the right. ship. And then they said, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in Darwin? Because I had offers of jobs up there. Or do you want to go to Perth, come and work for us down here? So fortunately, I think I decided to come back to Perth because... Just Darwin, before the cyclone came. Well, I got out on the 15th of December. I'd won a... I'd, I was a rugby league coach and I'd won the, the best and fairest um, for the competition. Wow. And, it, and it was... Ansett Airlines gave me a trip around Australia. Nice. By air for nothing, you know, me and my wife. Yeah, and, as a gift. As a gift. And... Uh, I took that, yes. of course, and um, left Darwin on the 15th. When I got down to Victoria, I rang my mother on Christmas Day and uh, she said, did you? Because you didn't have mobile phones. So yes. She said, did you hear the, um, the news? And I said, what's that? She said, Darwin got wiped off the map last night. Oh. Tracy hit. And, yes. Um, yeah, it really. There was... Um, and you had left a left few days. Left on the 15th, yeah. Oh. And my old boss, he'd just bought a house and the whole house got wiped away. The mechanic, he, had, he was a Jewish guy. He was an English guy, but he'd married a Jew and had three, three, she had three daughters. They were in the toilet overnight and in the morning when the wind stopped, Ted lifted his daughter up to look out the window and she said, oh, Dad, the next door roof's gone. And then when they opened the door, the whole house had gone, but the, the toilet. but the toilet bathroom area was double bricks so, oh. or besser blocks, so they didn't go. But all they, all they saw was the floorboards and all their, everything had gone, furniture and everything. But that was common up there, everything yeah. went. Yeah, so I uh, came, came back to Perth. Then they sent me to Kalgoorlie the, for Build the it. same reason. Building higher. Yeah, so they sent me to Kalgoorlie a little bit after that to to sort the manager out there. I don't I don't know what I what I had, and so yeah, when I was up there, a very good friend of mine was an underground miner. Yeah, and um, his best. I I left the hire business and started working for a mining company. I was the administration manager there in the, in Kalgoorlie. 
and um, the mine was about 200 miles away in the bush and uh, these two guys were working underground and down on the seventh level and a big uh, seven-tonne rock just fell out of the roof on on the other guy, Jack. Oh. And Vic, he was my future business partner, he was walking in front of him and the rock, oh. he's still got a scar on his buttocks from where the rock nearly just got hit, him. But he didn't hear her. And then his wife was pregnant, living in the caravan up there, and uh, she said, we've got to get out of here, you know, this mining's too dangerous. dangerous. Oh. So I said to Vic, I know where there's a business. And he said, where? And I said, Perth. I don't know. And then I was, I was driving trucks for yeah. a while, okay, and uh, the guy that owned the trucks said, we're going to go into this sandblasting. And so they put me in a little office over in the transport yard and said, see what you can find out about sandblasting. I knew nothing about sandblasting. Yeah. And I did a, ma a market survey. Yeah. And I said, all we've got to do is get the equipment here and we'll, we'll make millions, you know. Yeah. Because I was a very... Entrepreneurial. Yeah, I was very aggressive and very go-getter, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we started off, a compressor came from South Australia and things and got this business going. And then they wanted me to invest in it, but I didn't have any money. So I said, no, I'm not going to put my house on the line. Yeah. See you later, boys. Yeah. So, uh, and then it was about two years after that, that I said to Vic, I know where there's a business. Do you want to be interested? He said, yeah. So I knew they were going to sell it, the blasting business. So we came down and we bought the business uh, on a shoestring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, how I got that. But I, I went to the, the finance brokers. Yes. And Vic just sat back in amazement as, as I gave this great spurl about how we were going to do this business. Yeah. And the next day I said, you got the money. Oh, hallelujah. So, so, anyway, to cut a long story short, I suppose, the, um, we got this business going. And Sam it, was, it was turning over about 90000 a year. year, right? This is in the 80s. Yeah. And then, because they were really struggling. But I came in and we relocated big, Vic could yeah. weld and everything. We made these big blast cabinets. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of years, we were turning over 500,000 wow. a year, you know. And uh, if we weren't making over a grand a day, we weren't happy, you know. And I had yeah. guys working for me and everything. I was a tough boss. And... <laughs> yeah, and uh, then... Because of the strain of the business, I was working 16 hours a day. I was down there painting on Sundays when everybody oh, yeah. was having barbecues. And um, I think I, I fell apart, you know, mentally. Uh, the stress, yeah. keeping the bank manager happy and keeping everybody happy but myself. And so my marriage just went to pieces. And um, Did she leave? Eh? She left you? Yeah, it was sort of on the cards, you know. We weren't just making it together, you know. And so there was nothing really, there was no other people involved. It was yeah. just uh, struggling. And because when you haven't got the Lord. So the, the thing was, um, 
I got that in about 80 and then 84, um, I, was su- I, beca- I became suicidal, you know, mm-hmm. like desperate, yeah. desperately suicidal. And yeah. so one morning, that's it. I'm going to go down and do the job. I'm going to get the bit of bull hose, three-inch bull hose that we used to run the compressed air through from the, from the compressor to the pot. Yeah. Just fits over the exhaust of my Toyota. I had a short wheelbase Toyota with the yeah. big exhaust. And I just went down and I was heading down with this thought racing in my head at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Gas yourself to death. And yeah, I was going to and uh, I found myself in this uh, car park of this Catholic church in Wellington Street in Morley. It's yep. called the Infant Jesus Church. Yep. My grandson goes to school there now. It's, it's amazing. But that's yeah. Tammy's thought. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I went in. What am I doing here? You know, I didn't want to come in here. It was like the wheel of a Toyota just went into this car park and I'm sitting there. Because I'd been to that church once or twice trying to find God, you know. Yeah. And... Um, but then I walked in. The priest was just leaving the altar. He said, uh, just leaving the altar. And I said, oh, no, I don't need a priest. I don't want a priest. Because <laughs> I thought he might have seen me come in. You know? Yeah. So then I just threw myself on the back pew and cried out to God and said, God, I'm going to do something that I know is wrong and you don't like. You've got to show me that you're real. Yeah. And the peace of God just flooded over me. Like it was just all the racing in my head. I've written a poem and it's, uh, I wrote a, wrote a poem and part of the poem is suicide became my cry. The demons did agree, you know, like yeah. they get in your head and uh, it, it was real. And then this peace came over me. So I got out and got in the car and I went to work and my and my opened the factory and my daughter had given me a little Gideon's Bible that they get from school. Yes. Gideon's give the Bible out to yes. all the schools. And I used to read Psalm 23, but I never understood what it meant. You sure. know, I, but I used to, whenever I got into problem, I'd read Psalm 23. But I opened it up and said, look to the ant, thou sluggard. She is wise in all her ways. She she gathers, you know, that, that's yeah. good. And uh, I knew God was speaking to me. I knew. Yeah. You know how you know? Yeah, yeah, at that time. Yeah. I must go back to when my brother came out of, this, out of the seminary. He had a box of goodies. Mm-hmm. And we used to sleep on the veranda of this house, only a small two-bedroom house, and us kids used to sleep. We were brought up on the veranda, you know, yeah. like didn't matter whether it was 13 degrees below zero, but we, we were in, virtually in the open all our life. Yeah. And my mother had put this box around there where she used to store stuff and she said, don't touch the box. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to look in that box. And what does a young lad do when he's exactly told that? Mm-hmm. So one morning I snuck around and... Uh, the first book sitting on top was the Bible. The first time I ever touched the Bible and I opened it up 
John, seven eight. The Lord's Prayer. No, it was... Um, Jesus says he prayed. He said, uh, the world hates you. Yep. Know first that it hated me before it hated you. I have called you. It was almost, you know, that was when uh, it really struck me that I was called, you know, because yeah. the word of God is powerful. Yeah. But um, my people perish through lack of knowledge. Yes. You know, you can't, you know, um, people caught up in other religions, they just don't have the knowledge, you know, that you know mm. what I'm talking about. And uh, it has to come by revelation, it has to come. So that was part of my fight then because I knew that calling was definite. But, um, yeah, so uh, when, I, when I saw this sluggard, but I, I, I just got on with work. Yeah. And all the other ideas are gone and I couldn't work that out. Then everybody after that was, um, do you know Jesus? You know, they come up and say, are you born again? I'd never heard that much before, but all of a sudden, everybody. Oh, I'm praying for you. Oh, yeah. Praying what? That I get born again? Because I hated the, <laughs> the term. I hated that term. Yeah. Because I'd say, I'm a Catholic. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. You know, I don't need to be born again because, you know, we're indoctrinated. I'm already a Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already there. Yeah. I'm already, but I know I'm not going to heaven. I knew that. Yeah. You know, I knew that. Yeah. I knew where I was going. And uh, so this uh, people kept coming across my path. And um, one girl said, come and uh, uh, hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. So the gospel it's a gospel, you know, and uh, I just come along. I went and listened to Barry Smith from New Zealand over in Yurawen uh, Family Church. Yeah, I know good old Barry. He's yeah. still around. Is he? I met him at um, Les Murphy Falls the other day, just randomly. Yeah? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. And um, he's like, he's fairly old now. 90s, yeah, well, close to 100, I think. Anyway, he, he gave the Pope and the second night I went, I'd heard the first night, he, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Jesus is coming, are you ready? And I, in my heart I said, I'm not ready. Yeah. But why are all these people going up the front? So I went up the next night, I had my kids sitting on the floor on the front seat and he was right there, the pulpit. <laughs> Yeah, and he really started on about Catholics and Mos and Masons and all the cults, you know. But he really gave the Pope, and this old Catholic spirit in me jumped up. Yeah, I'm out of here, you know. Yeah, right in the middle of the sermon. Yeah, and I had pastors running after me, grab, <coughs> grabbing me, and. Uh, what are you doing? Where are you going? I said, I don't have to put up with this rubbish, you know. Yes. But it stuck because, um, yeah, then there was Ron DeBorno. Somebody said, have you met Ron? I said, Ron who? It was Ron DeBorno. He owns um, Fletcher's Fitness World, you know. And... Um, yeah, I hope he's watching this because 
We haven't been in contact for a long time, but I had to see him after that. I couldn't get it out of my head. Ring wrong, ring wrong, that night. Yes. And the next morning, got on the phone. The old, it was the old dial phone set. Yeah. I rang the number. His son came on the phone at 7 o'clock. I want to speak to Ron Devorna. He said, Ron's not here. He's gone to Mandurah for the day. I said, he can't have gone to Mandurah. I've got to see him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, as a matter of fact, he's gone and he's not here. I said, when he comes back, tell him to ring this number. It's, when will he be back? He said, 6 o'clock. So I went over there. 6 o'clock, the phone rang. Hello, who's this? And I told him who I was. Yes. What's your problem? I said, I want to see you. Come on over. So he lived at Caranup, had a big three-storey mansion in Caranup, overlooking the golf course. Nice. I thought I was into a cult there. You know how you put the big <laughs> columns out the front? Greek columns. <laughs> you know, the, Italian the columns. Typ typical, uh, you know, you see it in yeah. TV, movie, in the movies in America, you know, yeah. they're getting caught up in Scientology or something. You know? Yeah. Oh, no. When I saw the steps and everything, but his wife came out and I thought, I met an angel. You know, she had this it's safe, beautiful, this beautiful, uh, peaceful look on her face. So I thought, yeah. oh yeah, this is all right. Yeah. And then I saw a crucifix hanging on the wall. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, this is good. Nice. This is okay. And she said, Oh, Ronnie, will be down in a minute. He had this spiral, like a sloping staircase. Yeah. And he came skipping down there. G'day, mate. How are you? But in my heart, I said, whatever this guy's got, yeah. I'll give a million dollars for what this guy's got. You know, that's what, yeah. I, you know, it was in my heart. Oh, come on, mate, tell me, tell me, what's happened, what's happened? And he told me that he was lying in bed. He, he used to kick the dog and hit the horse. His daughter was a bit of a horse. Hated the horse, hated the, the dog and the cat and whatever, and he was cheating on his wife and things and just he was lying in bed this night and uh, the moon shone through the window but it wasn't the moon it was a bit brighter than that and it threw him out of bed yeah and the next thing he was on the floor in repentance he'd never been never been to a church his grandmother was a catholic yeah and he'd never been to church yeah and he couldn't couldn't uh, wait to get hold of a Bible. I think he had a Bible in the house or something. Mm. And he spent three days on the lounge room floor with this Bible. Didn't eat or drink for three days. Mm -hmm. He had a mighty conversion, but he didn't know anything, you know. He, yeah. he didn't. So he was telling me, and we're going through the Bible. I said, I know a, I know a story in the Bible about a guy that got thrown off a horse. Mm -hmm. And so we're going through the <laughs> Book of Acts. Till we found Paul's conversion. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened to me. And so we just swapped all this stuff, and it was seven o'clock the next morning. I was still at the kitchen table. Yeah. And um, he said, He's going, he said, I've got to have a shower, have breakfast, we're going to church. I said, Where's church? He said, Oh, a little schoolhouse over in Beechborough. Who goes to church in a school, you know? Yeah. You know, you've got to have a big steeple yeah. and all this. Of course. <laughs> that's, that's tradition. Oh, no, we've got a little group. We play the guitar. And uh, there's about 10 of us over there. 
And Skip, Skip is the pastor, he's an American guy with a beard. Yeah, he's a good guy. I said, oh, I'll go and have a shower, I'll meet you there. He said, yeah, okay. I had a red 260Z sporty car in those days. Yeah. I broke the speed limit getting home to have a shower and everything and get to this place. And I can still remember the first song, Come and Let Us Go Up to the Mountain of the Lord, uh, you know, and he will teach us of his ways. Yeah. I thought, this sounds really cool, this music, you know, I've yeah. never heard it before. <laughs> yeah, and then poor old Skip had to put up with me. Every time we had a meeting, I'd have four foolscap pages of questions. Uh-huh. And he'd see me coming with this notebook and he'd, Beautiful. he'd say, oh, no, you know. Not again. Not again, you know. And then I, uh, yeah, I got saved and then I went to um, Bible school here. Mm-hmm. I found this place after okay. I got saved and it was El Shaddai. El Shaddai, yeah. And, um, and I, Bible school, i got to learn about this Bible. This is something. Yeah. Yeah, so I came here. But the big thing was the day after I got saved, I went into work and my business, I had another business, powder coating over in Wellsboro. If mm-hmm. I'd have kept these businesses, I would have been <laughs> in a super yacht by now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, powder coating was just coming in. Yes. And I bought a very cheap business. version of a powder coating business. And I put my part, I said, you go and look after that, I'll look after this. And so rang me up and said, we've got a problem. I said, I don't have problems anymore, mate. Sorry. <laughs> and you he found said, Jesus. He said, what did you do? I said, well, yesterday I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, well, you lost your mind. Well, apart from all the expletives that came over the phone, <laughs> it, it was uh, Lithuanian, yeah. long blonde hair, big Really, really good-looking guy in about in his early thirties, and built. You know, I'm coming over there to fix you up. He said, "I'm coming over." To th-. And about half an hour later, there was a big screech of brakes out the front, and he came running in the workshop, look, look, looking for me. And uh, and he took one look, and he said, "What happened to you? What happened to you?" Yeah, he said. I can't work you out, Mike. One day you're up, one day you're down. You're all over the place. You, you're drinking. You're, this, you're doing this. You're doing that. And look at you now. What, what's happened? <laughs> I said, I met Jesus yesterday. And he said, he's an old Catholic boy. Come on, Mike. Anyway, who's going to make all the decisions now? And I said, him. Uh-oh. He said, but you're, you know, who, who can, you do all the office work, you do all the banking, you, you run the place. Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm just a worker. You know, it's, it's all right, mate. He'll help us. But I said, in six months, I had my briefcase there. I said, six months, I'll have that little briefcase standing out there on the road waiting for a taxi to take me to the airport because I'm going around the world to preach the gospel. Oh. Wow. That was really hard. Yeah. He, he couldn't swallow that one. No. Well, we better go and talk about it. Better go and talk about this business. So we went to uh, 
Chinese restaurant, just him and I, and I had the little Bible here. Yeah. Started to talk. I started to talk about the business. He said, ah, I don't want to know anything about the business, mate. He said, I want to know what's in that little book yeah. that can change someone so much. Hallelujah. And uh, six, six weeks later, he got born again. Oh, praise God. But his wife gave him an ultimatum. Oh. Because she thought I'd gone mad. Yeah, and, and then he's gone. Oh, I lost all my friends in the first week. You know, all my so-called friends. Yeah. They would, you know. What happened to you, Mike? Yeah, I came to Jesus. Do you want to know? No, click. You know, that was just common. So this, uh, Vic's uh, wife said to him, it's Michael or me. Oh. You know, you follow him, I'm out of here. Yeah. So he had a pretty, pretty tough time there. But he, when he came skipping down the driveway with his little lunchbox the day after he got saved, all the guys, there's two guys working for us, they said, not another one, you know, because they'd seen my performance yeah. with Jesus. Yeah, so that, that basically where I came to. And then I had to uh, be true to my convictions. I came to Bible school. I was going to... Um, study the Bible and be a preacher. <laughs> Big aspirations. You were still with your wife at this stage? Uh, no, I, we, we'd parted. Yeah. But um, we'd um, parted and I, I sort of, once I got saved, I, I, I tried to make amends, you know. You wanted to go back to that? Yeah, but uh, she said no. She said um, because she'd been brought up Baptist, but they'd been hurt in a Baptist church and turned away from religion you know, when she was about 19. Yeah. Father and mother, the whole family, they were all in, in they were all Baptists, you know. She was yeah. Baptist. And uh, this pastor went astray and just, yeah. they were all gobsmacked. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that. Um, and then I came to Bible school and I had to, um, on the way home from Bible school one day, the Lord said, go and forgive. And I said, me? Forgive? Come on. What, what, <laughs> what have I got to forgive, you know? So I went over to the business and she was still in the office. I said, I've got something to say. And she said, you've always got something to say. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you for everything you said, everything that's happened, just forgive you. And uh, she really couldn't believe it, you know, that I'd, she saw such a change. Yeah. And I walked out a free man. You know what I walked? I called it the power of forgiveness. Yes. And uh, we're still very good friends. We have Christmas with my two children from another marriage and her, her and my first two, we yeah. all get together, Christmas, birthdays, everything. Mm. So I call it the power of forgiveness. People can't believe it, but it can happen, you know. That Yeah. Anyway, that's God. It's reconciliation. He's, uh, he's the master at that. And he, you did go around the world. You went to Africa, didn't you? I went to Malaysia first. Malaysia. 
um, went to Malaysia in, didn't know anyone. Pastor Joseph had come through on a bit of a scouting thing. He was trying to make some friends down here with churches. Yes. Came to the Bible school, went to a house where he was preaching one night and he said, we need missionaries in Malaysia. Anybody want to be a missionary? And I thought, oh, nah, everybody will want to do that. <laughs> but it was only me and another girl. Yeah, yeah. And we both ended up in Malaysia. Beautiful. And uh, I was there for three months. Used to go to these pastors' meetings and had a lot of things to say. God was using me mightily in healing and, um, you know, it got quite common that they'd say, oh, you have to have the faith of Mike Walk to do things like that, you know. But Yeah. I came back with a vision to uh, Perth mm -hmm. and um, used to go to Kings Park, pray for the city of Perth every morning. Wanted to start a church in the city, in the North Club area, <laughs> Northbridge. Yeah. Coming back from uh, Kings Park and I came through the city and I was going down William Street. Yeah. And there was a little note on a shop window said to let and a phone number, but I couldn't see it from the car. And then early morning, one-way traffic, I had to go right around the block, park the car and I come running back. And there's a number there, just an old 93 number, no, no mobiles. I yep. didn't have a mobile. So I found the nearest phone box, rang the guy. He said, I'm interested in renting the place. How much? He said $75 a week. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Anyway, when he opened the door, it was all the vagrants had got in there and it was a real mess, you know, one of these old two-storey places. In Northbridge. Yeah, in uh, William Street. Yeah. And uh, got a couple of guys off the street, come in and helped me clean it up and painted it, put Jesus Lighthouse Street Church on the window. Yeah. And used to preach every night. Nice, from there. Yeah. I'd invite people in there. Yeah, just open the door and just people used to wander past. Yeah. They used to... Uh, uh, street kids would just wander in, mm -hmm. tell me their story, give them a cup of coffee, yep. tell them Jesus loved them. They'd burst out crying because they'd come from Brisbane and they were homesick. And I said, well, just go home and tell your mother you love her mm -hmm. and everything will be right, you know. Yeah. I just had a real ministry in doing that. Then I moved around the corner to... Um, there's a big building there called, it was called the Economic Building, owned by Tim Tatungus. Okay. Who, who was, he's not Romanian, but he, Macedonian or. Yeah. And he had a sign saying, Officers Rent, because I wanted to get right into the nightclub area. Yep. And uh, I went into the office and said, Where's the officers? And he said, Oh, you've got to speak to the boss. So I went upstairs and. He's sitting behind this desk with big golden eagles hanging over him and <laughs> sunglasses, you know, like dark glasses and a big cigar. And I thought, he's the head of the mafia, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what do you want? I said, I'm after a building. What do you want to do? I said, I want to minister to street kids, drug addicts, anyone that comes along. He come with me. He took me down the second floor and there was nothing there. It was empty. He said, it's yours for six months, nothing. Whoa. 
massive whole floor there. Yeah. It's yours, six months. Beautiful. (laughs) So I called it the way. I called it the way. Yeah. Because I had a dream about the cross and uh, the way. Yes. So I changed from the Jesus Lighthouse to the way, and I used to show gospel films there every every Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Had a group of guys would go out in the street, hand out tracks, invitations, and yep. used to get 70, 80 people come in. Yeah. <sighs> Saw people healed, delivered. Yeah. It was really ever uh, seven nights a week I was there, and. Uh, I think I finally burnt out there, but I used to get a lot of criticism from the because I had no credentials. Yeah, you know, where no did you get who, where did you get your credentials? Are you a pastor? Are you yeah, a yeah. this? Are you a minister? Yeah. yeah, where did you come from? Who 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 taught you? Yeah, when I come back from Malaysia, I was preaching at a church in Guildford, <laughs> and I just started to give my testimony, mm-hmm. and the. Honestly, the screams of the demons was real. Mm -hmm. And the other pastors went over and got up against the wall like this. It was so. (laughs) And then when I had an altar call after, they came crawling for prayer. And then the pastor said to me, where did you learn all that stuff? Yeah. The Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? In those days, it was quite common. Um, there's a pretty big move of God, and deliverance was pretty, pretty big in the church. You know? Yep. It seems to, you know, they they don't seem to. They used to take them out the back after that, you know, because they didn't want to upset people in the church. You know. Yeah. But, uh, there's a lot of things like that. So, How did you meet your current wife? Uh, Lakshmi. Lakshmi. Yeah. Yeah. She. Um, when my my second wife passed away, she had. Oh, so you remarried? Uh, yeah, I remarried in uh, just after I, I was in the lighthouse. Yes. In nineteen eighty seven. Yep. We were married again. Uh, she was Christian. She, she, she was, was a believer. Yeah, she came to the lighthouse, and I met her mother at church. And when I gave my testimony, she came up to me and said, "You've got to meet my daughter. She talks the same language." You know. So. Oh, nice. So the next thing, Jeanette used to work at the uh, police headquarters as a to- uh, tele- mm-hmm. telex operator. Yeah. And she was on shift work all the time. But when she could get there, she used to come and pray yep. uh, in you know, any meetings we had that she could get to. Mm-hmm. And uh, Did she have any children? or No, no. She'd never been married. We, we discussed... Um, after six months, we discussed together, you know. I yeah. said, no, no. I said, uh, foxes have holes. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I said, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I just want to be free to be a missionary, you know. Yeah. So we fasted and prayed. And after three or four weeks, what do, you, what do you think? She said, what do you think? And I said, I haven't changed. She said, "Ah, oh, you're not hearing from God. You know? But uh, God did show me that she was the one. She, she had rheumatoid arthritis. She was very, 
she'd been uh, healed of all the pain from rheumatoid, but she still had a lot of the scars. Yeah. And uh, so we got married, and um, Mary used to pray all, all night and everything. You know, it was with Strong. a believing woman, yep. and she was she used to work and walk in miracles as well. And, uh, Beautiful. She wasn't supposed to have a child. I don't know how. We went here, this American evangelist, one night. Yeah. And uh, he said, there's somebody here making a decision whether they want a child or not. Mm. And I just nudged her and she went, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had ten, he talked a bit more. Then 10 minutes later he said, if that person doesn't, respond i'm going to point her out oh so she jumped up in a hurry and headed for the altar and she got about 10 feet away from the pulpit yeah and she would just went down in the spirit and uh, we were told she could never have children right yes and um, a couple of months later she was pregnant she wouldn't tell me because uh, <laughs> my friend said, friend of mine, he said, oh, Robin's pregnant, you know, and I said, oh, yeah. And I laughed and, he, and she said, don't you laugh. You better ring your wife. So, yeah. yeah, I found out. So I went off to Malaysia when she was, she was six months pregnant and I said, I've got to go to Malaysia for a short time. I'll be back at Christmas. This was in the... And then I was living with two doctors up there yeah. in a big mansion. They said, get your wife to come up here. After prayer one morning, they said, get your wife to come up here. We'll look after the, right. the pregnancy. You know? So she had a really good job at the uh, Receiver General's um, office. Mm -hmm. And um, if she'd have stayed there, she would have got maternity leave and everything. Yeah. You know? But she decided to come to Malaysia, and uh, she go. She'd never move without a scripture, so she she yeah. came. And Joel was born up there. Oh, in Cal. In um, no, no, in the place called Ipo, which Ipo. is yeah, yeah Ipo. Because that's where I was was at Ipo. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and then you had another child. Yeah, Joanne. She was she was born when I when we came back to Australia. Mm. She was. Uh, when I was in Broome, she got pregnant. Uh, Jeanette got pregnant with uh, Joanne. Good. Joanne's now in uh, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. She's thirty, and Joel's. Uh, he was thirty-three, 30, 34 the other day. Nice. Um, so, uh, a so boy to Janet. She had. Um, she came with me to Kenya in two thousand and twelve. Um, she was um, very active, even though she had a lot of, um, she couldn't walk far and things like that, but she was very active for the Lord. We were looking after orphans in a place called Gucha. And um, when we came back from there, I went on an Aboriginal reserve up in uh, the three South Australia, Northern Territory. Western Australia border, where the three yeah, states there, meet. There's a place called um, Wingalina. So mm -hmm. I went there as a project officer. 
and um, I think there was something in the water there because when we came back from there, mineralised water, you know, yes. we were drinking from the bore on this community. I had to test the water every month, you know, I used to yeah. send samples down to Perth. But apparently the, the water was very mineralised and um, in about 2015 she was diagnosed with um, kidney failure. Mm -hmm. So then we were, went for the next five, six, seven, the next four years was dialysis and all the oh. treatment, you know. So that stopped everything I was doing for the Lord and also she couldn't do anything. She didn't yeah. have her life. So, yeah, she passed away on uh, 28th of September 2018. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah, she was only 68, and a big blow to all her friends and that because she was a very positive person. You know? Yeah. Good in ministry, ministering to women she was good at because you know? mm. she'd been through a hard thing herself. So that's, yeah, we went, went through a lot together with the Aboriginals up in Broome. That was a big thing. I went, when I come back from Malaysia, <coughs> my old boss from... Uh, um, to hire business, I rang him up. I said, you've got a truck driver's job. And he said, we're looking for managers. I said, no, no. I said, Mike, we're looking for managers. So come and see us. So I went and saw him, the big boss, you know. Yeah. Come and work for us, Mike. Come on. You know. So I went, started working. In Broome? No, no, they had another place for me to go. And then the... They had in the back of their mind, broom. See, yeah. so after a while, I said, you "Going to broom?" I said, "No, not that." <laughs> I had no idea about broom, and then after twenty-four guys put in for the job, yes, I didn't. So he came over the next day. He used to be a smoker. You didn't put it in. No, you didn't put that application in. No, no, I'll put it in for you. I said. <laughs> Because I'd known him for years and he knew what I was like. So uh, the next day he just came over. I didn't put an application. He came over and said, you're going to Broome. Uh, We're sending you to Broome. Nice. <laughs> so you did. Yeah. How did you meet Lakshmi? Uh, after my wife passed away, I went through a, a really uh, depression, went into a deep depression. I, And then my son said, come on, Dad, we'll tidy this house up, you can sell the house or whatever. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was in 2019. Um, he did a lot of work. He used to come over. He left his own work to come over and help me. We painted it all up. And then I was sitting at the desk one Monday morning and I was just about to ring the agent to come and sell it. And, I just felt not to sell it. Yeah. And so I put an ad in, just threw an ad in uh, on... Uh, Gumtree. Gumtree. Uh, it was uh, Marketplace. Marketplace. Just, just, just threw it on Marketplace. House, house for rent, three-bedroom, townhouse, da, 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 da. And the first one who answered the call was Jelena. Mm -hmm. Lakshmi's daughter. Yeah, Lakshmi's daughter. And uh, she said, I'm looking for a house. And I said, oh, yeah. And she said, uh, 
Can I come and have a look? And I said, yeah. I had over 200 hits that day for people looking for the place because yeah. it was pretty good. And uh, Where are you? In Olamara? And, and in Girawin. Girawin. So then uh, she came along and uh, five o'clock that afternoon, I'd already turned back. Guys were coming in with cash, you know, yeah. like here, here, here. Muslims, family wanted it. A um, couple of Indian guys wanted it. Um, they were the ones with the cash. With, Here's the money now, you know. Yeah. But I just felt to hold off until I'd seen these two girls, the two yes. daughters, Lakshmi's two daughters. And yeah. Then they come in and said, oh, we're bringing our mum out from Mauritius. So uh, So they were leasing it for their mum or for all three of them? No, no. Wellner already had a house around in, uh, she's in Belga. Yeah. And Jelena wanted to get a house close to there. Yeah, for her mum. For the mum. So, so she went you, out on a You limb. were leasing the whole house? At first. And where were you going to go? I was going to go to Broome. I went to Broome. Okay. My nephew had given me um, a, place to stay. a place to stay. I, was, so so you, I you went there for a After Jelena moved in, yeah. I just said, well, I'm off. I'm going to Broome, you know. And you left it furnished? Yeah, all furnished. Okay. And uh, left her the dog. She, I am blue healer. Okay. She didn't know anything about blue healers. And yeah, so I went off the broom in uh, April. Yeah. And uh, having a good time up there and just cleared it up with my nephew that I was there for good because he had a big room in his house and he drives uh, road trains. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, um, it must have been destined to be because in, in June, Jelena rang and said, oh, the toilet's leaking, you know. And I thought, you have these problems when yeah. you've got a house, you know. So I said, is it bad? She said, oh, it's not too bad. So well, I'll just leave it and see what happens. It might settle, yeah. you know. Not, yeah. <laughs> you know, a like, seal or something. Yeah, yeah. It was a seal where it yeah. goes out the back upstairs. And the guy had done a rush job and mm -hmm. he hadn't done it properly and there was just a... It was just enough to annoy you, I suppose. Yeah. But the, it was smelly because it comes out. So in July, I thought, oh, well, I better get back there. And because my son said, oh, Dad, the dog's a bit of a problem here, you know. And so I came back to Perth reluctantly. Yeah. And then uh, I was living with my daughter in Dinella. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I sort of got a granny flat that's next to my house here. I built this, it's a sort of a, a carport, but it's, I've converted it into a livable thing, you know. In the, in the, next to the townhouse? Yeah, next to the townhouse. Yeah. It's uh, completely separate and uh, eight by four, it's got its own toilet shower and everything. Yeah. So uh, I came back and I was helping my daughter out with the babies. And, um, then I came and fixed the toilet. Then uh, Lakshmi came from Mauritius in yep. July. We sort of, I, I sort of made friends with her and then because her daughters were going to work, I used to take her all around Perth and everything. So, and then one thing led to another and we're just really good friends. And, uh, yeah, we decided to... Uh, Stay the night. By the not. So you got married? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And uh, 
very, you know, we knew one another for two years. We only got married in November last year. But, oh, and you're still in so, your honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> till the Lord said the honeymoon's over. But yeah, it's uh, six months now, seven months. Yeah, so it's um, she's a very uh, pious, you know, good prayer. Nice. Uh, so it's sort of brought me back out of darkness. I, I went off my medication for 12 months. Yeah. I had a triple bypass back in 2017. Oh, while well, you were still caring for yeah. Jeanette? Yeah, I was still, I was her main carer, but I had... Oh, my word. I didn't have a heart attack, but uh, had this... Um, uh, scare. I had a scare, went to the doctor, next thing I find, yeah, and the head specialist, head heart surgeon, I got an, uh, to go and see him. Yeah. He's an Indian guy, Yossi. He said, I've seen you, I've heard your story. They've been talking about you. You're the hard, you're a hard case. Oh. He said, nobody wants to touch you. And I said, <laughs> what about you? He said, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah. He said, where do you want to go? I said, you don't give me much choice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Went into a big depression after that. I don't know. I couldn't, didn't handle the operation too well. The operation was successful. Thanks, guy. He said, I can only give you three years. He said, usually I give 20, but he said, with you, it'll probably. So I'm past the three year barrier anyway. So Thanks, guy. I think what's God, next God's got a plan. What's next? Um, looking after churches in Kenya. Just prayed for my dad. He's, I call him Bob in uh, Pakistan. Yeah. Had a huge um, kidney stone. Uh, and I said to the pastor, Pastor Revy, I said, get your dad on on YouTube, uh, on WhatsApp yeah. video. I want to pray for him. Yeah. And when I got him on the phone, he was comatose, like yeah. out to it. And uh, I said to Rav, go and get some oil. And I started praying. And uh, there's something, we couldn't speak to one another when I was in Pakistan, but one thing we say is, Yezima sees in the high. In Urdu it means Jesus is the greatest, you know. Yeah. And Taikun Takat means through the power of the blood, you know. Beautiful. And so I was saying this, and all of a sudden a smile came on his face. The next day he was up, after I prayed for him, he got up and ate roti and uh, yeah. conversed with the family and the next day he was walking around. So God's got a, I've, I've built a house there. Yeah. I built their house. It was a single story. It's now three stories because he was a bit, bit of a builder. Uh -huh. I provided the materials. Yes. And then I bought the house next door uh -huh. to extend the church. Nice. He, he ministers to about 100 children every Saturday and wow. has a family on family church on Sunday. Oh, and That's lovely. been going since 2010. Lovely. And when are you coming back, brother? They've been saying for 10 years, for 12 years now. Yeah. Did the same thing in Kenya. They're just seeing massive things happen over there. Under My ministry is called Alive Ministries International. Yeah. It's not, it's not registered in Australia, it's registered in Kenya. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Malawi, Tanzania, um, Uganda. Yeah. 
We've got 30 churches all affiliated with the live ministries. Beautiful. And they're seeing uh, when they went to Lasinga Island, which is on Lake Victoria, yep. they never had the gospel there. Wow. Uh, the pastor went there with a couple of the pastor friends, preached the gospel. The chief got saved. Wow. He's now preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. Uh, we went to another place called Naya. It was near where I went in 2013. Uh, the 3,000 at their first meeting. Um, and one, the chief donated the land for a church, so we built a church there. We've got churches everywhere now. And, uh, at Losinga, 600, I got photos, 600 people lined up for baptism in the first Whoa. week. Praise God for that. To go up from the river up there. Along. I'll show you the photos one day. Beautiful. 600 people waiting to go in the water. Yeah. I mean, you, you just can't believe it. And yeah. They've just done the same thing with the Masai Mara. Yeah. Kenya. In Kenya. They went there for a week crusade. Mm -hmm. um, people were coming out of the, the Ogeek people. They live yeah. in the jungle. The high uh, jumpers. They, well, they're there, the Maasai, the, the, yeah. lion, the lion tamers that yeah. jump with their spears. Yeah. And then you've got the Ogeek. They're the ones that, they're the honey, keep, honey keepers in the jungle. Yeah. One lady came out for a meeting, got yeah. saved, went back in. Next night she came out with 200. Hallelujah. And they don't want to go back. Samaria woman. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, that's what we were saying. Praise God. But um, So you still have a heart, obviously, for a mission, and you like to see more and more these pastors being encouraged and built up and supported. Well, yeah, but I'm, I think I'm at the point where I'd like to see young men from Australia get fired to go to the mission field because uh, there's so much work. And um, from my experience, I just feel um, that I have so much experience and direction. Yeah. Uh, We'll just pray to the Lord of the harvest that he Sense gives us more labourers. Yeah, labourers to do. Um, the mission field is important over there as it is here. But, of course. Uh, those people have got nothing. Mm. When they come out of the jungle, I mean, what have they got? Yeah. And then they find something good. They said, we're not going back in there. We're gonna, we want to stay around the church. We've, yeah. We built a church to hold a 1,000 people there last week. We finished it. Oh, praise God. That's beautiful. Sheets of tin cost ten dollars each. <laughs> it's going to cost a thousand dollars for the sheets. Yeah. I said you've got to negotiate, boys. You're not getting. And uh, they went in hard, and uh, they finally struck a deal at five hundred dollars for the sheets, and oh, time to pay off. Yeah. So you know that, but um, we've got an established church. Beautiful. I love your passion. Love your heart, Mark. Yes. Um, we will have to wrap things up. Yes. But oh, no, what an amazing, know. what an amazing journey you've had, and I just pray that you are able to fire more and more people up for the mission field because, as you said, the fields are just waiting, waiting for labourers to go in. That's the scripture that took me out of Bible school. Here, I was sitting, yeah, and uh, we were doing the life of Christ, and. Um, the teacher came out with, look to the fields, they're ripe for yeah. harvest. Yeah. 
and the Lord, and I virtually got, I haven't got time to to sit here. I've got to yeah. go. Yeah. And I think it's like um, Brother Paul last night. He said, "Up and up and go." That's you right. Know, you've got to go. That's when you right. got it, and people said, "What drove you to do that?" I said, yeah. "Just go." Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, and, and when you, you go, you don't, you don't need to make sense of it all. While you go, you will learn. That's right. And the spirit will lead you because reason will come in. Yeah, and, and it'll block you. And when you want to do something for the Lord, I had everybody in the world saying, "What? Yeah. You go there?" Yeah. But when you go, like in Pakistan, people got out of wheelchairs. Uh, workers from the mosque, yeah, came down and said, "We want to see the man of God." Yeah, you pr- and then they were sending the sick from the mosque. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! <laughs> That's all we want to see here. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for sharing your beautiful story. What an encouragement to us all. This man has gone through almost hell when you think about it. And uh, to be raised so far away from God and entrenched in Catholicism and then experience uh, renewal and transformation and to be born again and then suffer a divorce, uh, suffer the death of his uh, second wife and and a, a triple bypass and still smile and have a heart for the lost, uh, not knowing how long he's got, yet just carrying on, getting married, even though the doctor told him he's got three years to live. He's in his fourth, and he's just plowing on and on and really rallying us on not to give up on anything. I just pray that this is an encouragement for you and that you don't sit still, but you get up and go, as he said, and get into the mission field both at home and overseas, and see the miracles, see the manifestations of God in your life. I pray this blesses you and do share it with other people so others can get encouraged. We'll see you next time at Kingdom Stories. I'm Nathaniel Costia. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing including yours.